Okay, so Boker Tov, good morning everybody. Uh, we're studying today the 8th chapter of Sefer Yoshua. Um, another challenging week here in Ranana. We've, we've really, it feels like we've been hit. Uh, I mean, every, every city in Israel is, is experiencing, uh, you know, challenges, security challenges and loss. But somehow in the last three weeks, uh, Ranana has really been hit hard. Um, and uh, so I want to dedicate the learning that we do today. The Chayal who just recently passed away as well on the other side of Anana Dan Weidenbaum. I want to dedicate this to uh, David Schwartz, who's the son-in-law of Joe Gittler, uh, also was uh, passed away from Elazar. And uh, to those who were injured, uh, to Ed, Ed, I didn't get her Hebrew name, but Edna Blaustein. Uh, did it, does anybody know her? I, didn't I know. know she, I know. Uh, okay, no, you know, but the lady who was who was killed. Does anybody know who she is? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, her uh, neshama should have an aliyah. And the, um, the, the the there were a number of injuries, as you know, from the. Uh, there are a number of injuries from the attack. Um, there was a young boy from, from Arshul who got his foot sort of run over, but he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay, a little, a few bruises, and he's in a cast. So he's okay. His name is Solomon. Uh, but um, really, we're davening for Nadav. Nadav Ephraim ben Shulamit Leah. Betoch Sha'ar Cholei Yisrael. And um, I, I spoke to... Rona Bagram last night, who was a colleague with Dr. Stacy Kamer, I mean, they, you know, we had injuries to the head, so the uh, the the surgery is, you know, they, it takes a few days to know how. But I did. Someone mentioned to me this morning that he's breathing on his own, but I don't, I can't confirm that. Someone said they heard that in the news. He was being. Okay, so we're, uh, please God, Hashem, please give him a refuah and we dedicate our learning today for his, for his refuah And uh, Hashem should give chizuk to his parents, to all of us, during this, during this challenging, uh, during this challenging time. Okay, Tov, Yoshua Parakhet. So, uh, Yeshua Parakhet is meant to give us a little bit of a boost. Because after uh, the wipeout in Parak Zion with Ha'ai, remember we're fighting against Ha'ai. Uh, so Parakhet, Am Yisrael, we get it right. And we fix what's, uh, what's wrong. And we come back. Uh, we're in Parakhet, 8th chapter of Sefer Yehoshua. And it does remind me of, a, uh, it reminds me of an article that I think, I think uh, Elliot Cohn who's a former diplomat and, and, uh, and researcher of military strategy in the U.S., he wrote an article soon after October 7th, and he says the, the way that the Israeli military has always functioned, and Israel has always functioned, is that we make mistakes, we, you know, Yom Kippur War, whatever it is, and we learn the mistakes, and then we move on, and we get past it, and we... And, uh, and he says, this is, the, this is the path of Am Yisrael, this is the path of, uh, of Israel. And so please God, we're hoping that, we've, that we're learning, that we've learned from uh, the mistakes. And the same thing is true here in Yehoshua. Parakhet, Am Yisrael made a big mistake because Achan ben Karmi ben Zavdi, the Matei Yehuda, stole from the spoils of Yericho. This affected all of Am Yisrael. We spoke about this last week, a notion of Arevut, how one person, person's actions might reflect a certain attitude of the entire community. And, um, 
and so that was the, the seventh parak. So after Yericho, they try to attack Ai, and they're wiped out. They're chased out by the people of Ai, and um, 36, 36 soldiers are killed, and now they're going to try again. So Perak Chet, Vayomer Hashem El Yehoshua Al Tira. Hashem says to Yehoshua, do not be afraid. Okay, don't be, don't hesitate. Take the whole nation of fighters. Remember beforehand, they thought it was going to be easy peasy, right? Mm-hmm. Two, three thousand uh, fighters and we'll go and attack I, no problem. And to be honest, that should have been enough. I only has 12,000 people in it. Two, two three thousand fighters is a good number. But nonetheless, we were not ready. And again, psychologically, psychological, your psychological pr- preparedness is of ultimate importance in war, right? Remember uh, Rocky, anybody watch the Rocky movies, Rocky Balboa? Remember when he fights against, uh, what's his name? Uh, no, he fights against the, 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 his friend, the black guy, what's his name? Um, he goes in there thinking that he's, sorry, his, his friend, his friend, goes in there thinking when they fight, fight against the Russian. Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about. But then, oh, I'm going I'm to beat this guy. He's some Russian versus American. I'm American. I'm strong. I'm going to, you know. And he ends up uh, losing the fight, and he also ends up dying from the, uh, from the boxing match. Okay, so you, you go in, and you're not psychologically prepared. It could be a wipeout. It always amazes me. How did they control 3,000 soldiers? There wasn't a basic training I don't know, but there were, I don't understand how anyone did anything, you know, uh, before technology came along. I'll tell you something crazy. You want to hear something crazy? I'll tell you a crazy fact that I read, that I read about the Civil War in America. Okay, before the Battle of Gettysburg, one of the new innovations of the Civil War in America, 1860s, was trains. They're transporting things by trains. Now, these are armies with hundreds of thousands of people in them, okay? To get to the fight at Gettysburg, this is what I read once, the Union Army in the north had to switch trains 10 times, (laughs) okay? In order to get, I mean, imagine how much equipment and people and... I, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how anyone did anything before planes and ships and you know modern shipping and I, I, I don't know and cars and and trucks. I don't know D nines. D nines and but they but they had hundreds of thousands of troops moving across America and moving from train to train. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's beyond me. But but they did it. So tough. Three thousand troops is nothing. Okay. And we're going to see there are going to be more here. Hashem says, don't worry, you're going to achieve victory this point, at this point in time. Now, now Hashem says, you're going to do to Ai uh, and to, to her king what, uh, what you did to, uh, to Yericho. This will be a continuation of Yericho, but the significant point in this chapter is that there will be differences between the war in Yericho and here. The war in Yericho was all God, and the Jewish people just needed to walk around a little bit and cry, and uh, not cry, scream and blow shofars. Here we're going to see there's much more human involvement. Okay, now, another difference, You are allowed to take from the spoils of Ai. 
As opposed to Yericho, they weren't allowed to. Here they will be allowed to. We'll speak about that at the end. And Hashem gives him a little bit of strategy here. Okay, make a, an ambush. Okay, behind to the west of the uh, to the city. So the Jewish people are coming from Yericho. They're down in the Bika. They're going up the mountain here. I is closer up in the hills of Binyamin today. I actually looked at it on the map. It's uh, it's right off of Kvish Shishim. Kvish Shishim is like the main highway, north south main highway, and uh, you know you could either move north or south from from where I was situated. Okay, so um, so they're coming up on the uh, you know on the mountain, and so when they say make an orave an ambush from the west, it's the other side, which is the western side of the city behind the city. They're coming from the east. They're going to make it on the on the west. <laughs> Yoshua takes the whole nation to go up to Ai. Thirty ten times the amount of soldiers. And he sends them at night. Okay, there's no doubt that there is power in uh, in numbers. Okay, and we see this in uh, a second. There's power in numbers, and uh, Yoshua realizes they did not have enough troops the first time around. Okay, an army cannot just rely on its technology and its cameras. You need chayalim on the on the ground. Okay, so tough. Vayitzavu tam lemor reu atem orvim laer meacharei ha'ir al tarchiku min ha'ir meod vitem kulchem nechonim. So now he commands the soldiers. This is the strategy. This is the first time in biblical history that we see a, a fully fleshed out battle plan. We saw Avram fight. We saw the Jews fight, Sichon Ve'og. But there's no discussion about the strategy. How do you conquer the city? Here we're going to see for the first time a proper strategy, a military strategy, which is going to be brilliant and successful. And... Also creative, okay? We need a little bit more of that gutsiness, that gutsy, creative uh, boldness of, uh, of spirit that, that led Sahal throughout, uh, throughout our history, okay? And um, we, we need more of that. We need, uh, we need to be on the attack, not always on the defensive. I think somebody's holding our, tying our hands behind our backs, so. There's nothing wrong with us. Yeah, correct. There's a lot. Now, so what's, what's going to happen? The, the city is here in the middle. This is the city right here. Everyone see the city? Okay. Yoshua, okay, a group of soldiers are going to go behind the city. Okay. So here, here's the city. Okay. They're going to go behind the city. This is going to be the Orvim, the ambush. Now you have the gate to the city. Yoshua is going to go into the gate of the city, to the front. Just like they did last time with a number of chayalim. Okay, let's see what's going to happen though once Yeshua, you know, <coughs> attacks from the front. Um, Yeshua is going to attack a frontal attack at the gates of the city. The people of Ai are going to see Yeshua, and they're going to say, "Ah, let's do this again. Let's run after these guys." So they're going to run after Yehoshua and his chevra. Yehoshua is going to run far away from the city. 
Okay, and then guess what? The city's going to be empty and there's an ambush on the other side. And they're then going to attack. Brilliant, huh? Really smart. How else do you get people out of a walled city? Okay. Now, the irony here is that the failure of the first war may have actually enabled then what's going to be a successful battle the second time. You understand, by falling the first time, they then convince the people of Ai to do it all over again. And, and that's, when they, that's when they fail. Now, Okay, fine. Next, they're going to run after us. Okay, um, as we you know, sort of run away from the city. Because they're running after us, just like they did the first time. And we will run before them. Get up from the ambush. And go and. <laughs> and inherit or conquer the city. This language, Vehorashtem Metair, reminds us of the language in Parshat Matot Masay, the mitzvah of Yerushat Aretz of inheriting the land. The Ramban tells us there's a mitzvah to say to conquer the land, to hold on to Eretz Yisrael, and not allow it to be ruled by non Jewish rulers. It's a mitzvah to say in the Torah, according to the Ramban. Rambam does not count it. There's a discussion about why he doesn't count it. Rav Cook says the Rambam doesn't count it. Because it's such a fundamental mitzvah for the Torah. It's like, I mean, the whole purpose is to keep the mitzvot in the land, right? In the land that Hashem promised us. So it's the same thing as like believing in Hashem. If you don't believe in, you don't count believing in Hashem as a mitzvah because if you don't believe in God, there's no, like, what's the point of everything else? It's fundamental. It's so fundamental. That's the way Rav Cook explains the Rambam's omission of mitzvah Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. Again, the Ramban does count it in his Hasakot to the Rambam's uh, Sefer HaMitzvot. But this language, Vahar Hashem, is very significant. Unatana Hashem Lokechem Biyatchem. Hashem will give you them into your hands. When you capture the city, do as Hashem says. So he's telling them he's got to destroy the whole city. Okay. Ooh, that's an interesting phrase. Vayishlachem Yoshua sends the men. They they go into the Ma'arab. They set up the ambush at night, and they they dwell between. They're they're, they're sitting there between Beit El Uvein Ha'ai. Anyone recognize that phrase? Bein Beit El Uvein Ha'ai. That reminds me of something that we've seen that we've all seen before. Yeah. Let me see if I'm right about this. I'm just going to Parshat Lech Lecha. Yep. Vayelach ve Avraham kaved meod ba mikne ba kesef uvazahav. Vayelach le masaav minegev ve ad beit el ad makom asher yasham o alo batchila bein beit el uvein haai. This is where Avraham came to. This is where he built his first mizbeach. Let's just see this. Now vayvor amavar ad makom shechem ad elam rev arknias ba'aretz. But then, yeah, Vayatek Mishamara, Vayemikadam Betel, Vayet Alo, Bain Betel, Miyam, Vehaai Mikadam. This is one of the first places that Abraham builds a Mizbeach. 
But this is a fulfillment of the promise that we would inherit the land. And they're literally, they're, they're sort of, I, I don't sort of following the path that Avraham took. Now, Avraham came from the north. They came across the, across the river, right? Through the Naira Hayardin. But, um, and so Avraham was further north, been, you know, Shechem, Elon Moreh, and then he moves further south to the area of Ai and Beitel, which is, it's, this is the area of Binyamin, Shevet Binyamin. It's north of Yerushalayim. Just north of Yerushalayim. Beitel is the issue of north of, uh, of Yerushalayim. And, um, and so this is where there's a Mizbeach. Okay, so this is where the Ma'arav, the ambush, is set up between, uh, you know, for, to capture Ai. And Yeshua dwells that night amongst the people. I think that's a significant phrase. The Toch Ha'am suggests, is there, a, there should be a Chumash, a, um, a Navi somewhere, a red Navi, is there anywhere? You want? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, if you don't mind, just using that Tanakh. Yeah. And I'll say, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm using it. Okay, if I'm... I'll bring up more Okay, let me just see one second. No, I don't see anything right here. But uh, but again, I think there's 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 significance here to the. This is the fulfillment of the promise to to Abraham. Now, Yoshua sleeps amongst the people. Okay, um, there was a line Okay, um, <clears throat> why? Why does he do this? So the Radak points out, he was in the middle of the camp. To wake them up in the morning, to get them, to give them a fighting spirit. This is a proper general, dwells amongst his soldiers. He's not separate, he's not Minutak, he's not behind them. He is with his, with his people. Okay, and this is an example of uh, a model of great, of great leadership. Okay, now, <clears throat> good. Next pasuk. So, vayalhu. Okay, Yoshua He wakes up in the morning. He commands the people. Okay, and he. Uh, um, yeah. And he and he uh, and he goes up that night with his Gnei Yisrael before I. So they set up their camp right in front of Ha'ai, and there's a, a guy. A guy in this case is like a ravine between them. Okay, but you could imagine the people of Ai see Yoshua assembling his force. Getting ready to attack the uh, attack the city, okay. And another night comes, okay. Um, okay. So uh, what happens next? There, there's movements of the uh, of the troops, okay. Um, one second. I just did I skip a pasuk here. Sorry, 
He took about 5,000 troops. So there are 5,000 troops in the ambush. Okay? Uh, and they are again on the western part of this city, between Beitel and between Ai. Miyam Lair. Miyam, in this case, west. Yam, like as in Yamatichon. Yama is towards the west, right? So, uh, and then basically, okay, the, uh, um, so, so the main camp, it sounds like, is the north, to the north of the city, Tzafona. And then the ambush is on the eastern, on the western side of the city. And Yeshua walked that evening in the valley. Okay, what does that mean? Well, we have to know about his daily schedule. What does this mean? Okay, okay. So a few parshanim on this uh, on this idea. Um, so the Radak points out. Okay, so he's walking in the valley. Why? Okay. He's doing recon. This is a reconnaissance mission. Yoshua goes to see what's what's happening. This is classic Israeli military uh, uh, strategy. strategy that the generals are in the front. The Katsinim are in the front. This is also why Katsinim are, you know, are, okay, there's a cost to it, correct? <coughs> there's no doubt a, a, a serious cost to it. Just getting a little chilly here. But it's, um, but, it, but, but this is, there's also what to gain. Because again, we see the morale of the troops. And this, in this particular case, the people were, were afraid after the previous uh, loss, right? So Yoshua has to be the one who, who rallies them. And his mere presence gives them strength. Often leadership is just about presence. It's being around, showing up, right? Being, uh, being supportive as opposed to, it's just showing we're here, we're not going anywhere, we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to win this battle, Yoshua is telling them. And you, you see by, by his behavior, that the, he, I'm sure he gave confidence to his, uh, his chayali. Now, according to the Midrash, this idea of dwelling in the Amek actually uh, teaches us a, what was he doing? He wasn't going on a reconnaissance mission. He was delving into the Amek of anybody? The Amek of Halacha. Okay. Okay. The, according to the Midrash, it tells us that. Uh, Ah, oh, that night Yoshua was studying Dafyomi. He was doing a shiur biyun b'halacha. Okay, he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't doing reconnaissance. He was learning halacha. Let's not laugh. What's the significance? What's this telling us? Okay. Um, this we've already seen this idea when Yoshua encounters the angel. Remember, Halanu time Litzarenu, and uh, and we're told this is in Parakei, the end of Parakei, when this happens, that um, you know we're told that night. Uh, 
Uh, one second. Where was it? There was a phrase there. There was yeah. Okay, sorry. What it said there. Remember the the the, uh, the malach was you know according to the midrash was critiquing him. How do you stop your students from studying Torah today? Or you know the chayalim should be studying Torah, not not getting prepared for war. So we saw this idea earlier. He also prevented the korban tamid from being brought again because they were in the middle of uh, battle. Okay. And, uh, and when Yeshua says, well, you know, what's worse between not bringing the Korban Tamid, the daily sacrifice, versus not learning Torah, and the, the Malach says it's worse, the Bittu Torah. Um, so we see that idea coming up there by the Malach and Perak hey, and also here in Perak Chet. Um, now, this Midrash is brought up in discussions about who's the real army of Am Yisrael. Is it the Chayalim, which is what we believe, or is it those who are learning Torah? And we definitely believe that learning Torah gives us strength. It gives us some element of uh, protection, haganaz, chuyot, no, no question about it. But who, I mean, you just say for Yoshua, they got to fight. Okay, you need chayalim, you have to fight. And uh, this is, this is uh, so this midrash is brought up sort of on the other side of things. Ah, oh, look, Yoshua is, is punished for not studying halacha or not studying Torah the night before he's studying Torah. Okay, so it's, it is a midrash, it's there, it's on the books. But the whole spirit of Sefer Yoshua is go out and fight. Fight with Emuna, fight with Bitachon, fight B'Shem Hashem, but fight, okay? <laughs> and, um, say again? Yeah, yeah. Praise God and pass the ammunition, yeah. Yeah, it's a good line. And the... Um, now, but, but you could also understand this Midrash is saying, it's not that Yoshua, it's not that it's saying, you know, study Torah instead of fighting in a battle, or it's rather, in the midst of battle, study a little bit of Torah. Okay? And we, no one ever died. Say again? Nobody ever died, gave his life. No, no, I agree. studying Torah. So, you know, you've yeah. got to see it in proportion. You can't say bimkom. Yeah. Him to give it. But the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the now, is this a good thing, by the way? So I'll tell you two different stories. So number one, I remember of Eli Sadan, who's the head of Eli. I remember him, yeah, he gave Shirim and Malay Adamim back in the day. And I remember him telling us a story that uh, Chayal, there are situations where a Chayal should not be studying Torah. Okay, you're in basic training and you have an hour at night. Okay, you study a little bit. That's wonderful. But, uh, you know, he gave an example of, of, a, of a tayas who he knew who had 15 minutes before his mission and said, okay, I'll study for Mishnayot. And he didn't hit his targets. And uh, Eli learned from this. He told him, there are times when you learn, there are times when you don't learn. It's not a time for learning. Um, that's, uh, that's number one. On the other hand, you know, you could also see in this Midrash that the power of the ability to, to focus. I'm saying there is Yesh There is something to be able to focus on uh, certain self-discipline, self-focus. You know, you gain from studying Torah, which enables you, gives you kochot in other arenas, including in the on the battlefield. Um, you know, and, and it is true. You do need to tend to one soul. We want our chayalim to be to be uh, strong spiritually. The um, the uh, I will mention the there is a one second. Just close the door. There's a chayal. You know him, Yehuda Fensterheim. Maybe you, you know Yehuda Fensterheim? Sure. Yeah? Chedvan, David's daughter, who uh, he and, his, and a bunch of his chayalim, they're in the artillery unit up north. They managed to pull off a siyum, a siyum of a masachet. Yeah. 
in a makeshift tent in the freezing cold north. So you could do both. And there are many great Tamidei Chachamim who serve in the army and, uh, and a Rosh Yeshiva. My Rosh Yeshiva, Rav Chaim Sabato, fought in 1973. I was just watching a video before from Rav, uh, uh, you know, uh, Agazi, who's uh, also a very big Tamid Chachamim Rosh Yeshiva. And you see him in his army uniform. He's teaching Torah. And the series, by the way, was called Be'imek Shel Halacha. It's like based on this, this line here. Okay, yeah, I mean, even before Nachal no, Hezder units, Hezder units have combined Torah study in this, you know. Nachal uh, Haredi is just another, another example of it. But uh, one can certainly do both, and that's what we, that's what we believe, and that is the... Uh, now, the, uh, so that's in terms of, of this, uh, this Midrash. But let's continue in the story, because we're going to see there's more here to, uh, to explore. Okay. Um, so we're back to Parakhat. Okay. Back to Parakhat. So what happens next? So, um, Pasuk Yudalat. Vahi kirod melech ha'ai vayimaru vayashkimu vayetsu anshe'a ir likrat yisola melechama hu v'cholamo lamo'ed lifnei ha'arava. So when melech ha'ai sees uh, the Jews again camped in front of him, he's like, okay, let's do this again. And they all go out to fight against Yisrael. Hu v'cholamo lamo'ed Okay, uh, you know, um, you know, in the area where on the plain, okay, where they were stationed. Here, he had no idea about the about the ambush. And Yeshua and all Yisrael were, uh, you know, um, you know, they 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 ran away. Okay. And they ran uh, through the, uh, so they, so vayinagu, okay, one interpretation of vayinagu is like nega. Nega is to be, is, uh, is um, like a plague. They acted as if, vayinagu, they acted as if, here Rashi points out, heru atzman ki'ilu heim nigafim lifnehem. They made it look like they were being defeated. Okay, they made it look like. Okay, they were feigning, feigning defeat. So what happens next? Everyone, all the kitot konenu get up in the eye and they run after Yoshua. They get separated from the city. Everybody went out to go around the Jewish people. They left the city open. And they ran after Israel. When is the ambush going to attack? So, Hashem now says to Yoshua, take your, your spear, your whatever, javelin, hold it up. Point it towards I. Because I have given them into your hands. Now, what is this a sign of when Yeshua holds up his staff or his javelin? Okay, what is this? So, so first of all, this reminds us of someone else who used to hold up his staff. Anybody? Moshe Rabbeinu. But notice the difference between a staff 
which is not really a weapon versus a spear, a kidon or javelin, whatever it is, which is a weapon. And he holds it up. Why is he holding up his hand? He's holding up his hand in order to teach, not to teach, to let, to alert the ambush to know, ah, now is the time to go in. We were far enough from the, from the city. They see him holding up his javelin. Okay, attack. Um, so the ambush gets up. Okay, they run, uh, you know, when they see him, uh, you know, um, when they see his hand up. Okay, and they, so they, they quickly capture the city and burn it down. And this is very important because, again, they haven't defeated the army of Ai yet. Burning down the city is part of the military strategy. It's not just revenge. Once the soldiers from Ha'ai see that their city has been burnt down, they will, they will give up hope. Mitya'ish. They will give up hope. They turn back and they're defeated and they are they're lost. And then Yoshua and his tribes who are running away, they now go on the attack. Okay. Um Okay, they were they were fighting from different sides of the uh, um, different sides of the. Uh, they were basically now caught on both sides because Yoshua and his people turned back around, and the people, the ambushers, now were leaving the city and coming towards Ha'ai as well. Okay, so they made a sandwich and they. Okay. And the king of Ai, they captured him alive. They bring him to Yeshua. And uh, they killed all the men of the city. Um, Shared uh, the who, who they were running after. Okay, they kill all the soldiers by sword. Now, Amisho goes back and they basically you know make sure everyone's killed. Twelve thousand people are killed. All people of Ai. Yoshua doesn't draw back his javelin. It's a long time to hold up a javelin. Okay? Until they destroy all the But they took the spoils this time on the animals. They burnt down Ai and they left it as a tell olam, as a, a monument, I mean, you know, of a, 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 a ruin. Until this day. They hung the king until nightfall. Second, what? Yeah, by nightfall they took it down. 
Okay, you're not supposed to leave up a, a, a corpse um, hanging um, at night. They threw him under the. And they threw rocks on top of him until this day, until the day when Sefer Yoshua is is uh, is is uh, composed. Okay, a few things about some of the military strategy and and some of the theology that's uh, that's relevant here. Okay, um, okay, I want to share with you a uh, I want to share with you a few a few ideas. Uh, number one. I want to share with you an article by Ori Heitner, okay, who is a um, a is a choker b'machon Shamir lemechkar. To be honest, I'm not sure what that is, and he's a chaver of the kibbutz Ortal. Anybody know where Ortal is? Ortal, where's kibbutz Ortal? So, always good to know geography. Kibbutz Ortal. Where's kibbutz Ortal? Let's see. It's an hour and 59 minutes from Ra'anana. <laughs> Northern Golan Heights. Let's just see. Yeah. Okay. Ortal is, uh, looks to me more like the center, but it's north of Katsreen. Ortal. Yeah, Ortal, there we go. Near Merom Golan, Ein Zivan, Olenea Bashan, Keshet, Chispin. It's quite large, the Golan. Okay, Tov. So the um, Ortal, this is what he says. He has a little article called Nigmuru Hanisim. The miracles have ended. Hatekas, sorry. No, one second, one second. No, 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 one second. Okay. Okay, now, he says, uh, we're not going to read the whole article because it's connected to another piece which we'll do next week. But he points out the miracles have ended. And we see that in particular, by the way, that Amisro fought at Ai. This is military strategy. This is West Point. This is Ba'ad Achad, right? This is, uh, I spoke about the Beit Knesset, Ba'ad Achad. Was anyone here in Shul? The Beit Knesset and Ba'ad Achad is, is uh, the shape of, of uh, a burning bush. Okay? And it's a very cool thing, okay? The... Uh, Barachar is where they were kitsinim, where officers are trained for Tzvahaganah Israel. Okay, and, and they wanted them to like, just like Yoshua becomes a leader when he sees the burning bush, the Beit Knesset is the shape, the shape of a burning bush. Very cool. Has anyone seen this? Anyone seen it? Okay. What? Oh. Okay, you'll have to go, uh, go take a visit. Okay. But his suggestion is that the, na- the Nisim have ended. We've shifted from a, a, the war of Yericho is part of the past. God is doing everything for us. This is now us engaging in military strategy. Okay, that's the uh, that's the that, that's sort of the the way he reads this. But I want to share with you a different reading. Okay, which is sort of uh, somewhere in the middle between these two these two things. 
Okay, and this is something that Rabbi Michael Haddon suggests, and I think it's a thoughtful, thoughtful insight about how to understand this. It's not that, it's not that God is not involved anymore. Okay? There is brilliant military insight, uh, strategy here. There's no question about it. But, but there's more than that. Because how does, he says, how does Joshua's smaller ambush force know the precise moment when to leave their concealed location in order to seize the town? Okay? How do they know? It's, it, the timing is everything, right? So, the, he says the timely depo- deployment of the ambush force is a function of the flare that Joshua sends up, right? You know, we use a flare now, but, you know, he's the spear. When they see his outstretched spear, they know that the city gates have been left wide open by its overconfident defenders. Really, then, it is Yoshua's symbolic gesture that wins the day. Afterwards, the victory unfolds in a perfectly naturalistic manner. But how does Yoshua know when to raise his spear? Is it no more than the intuitive sense of timing with which great military men are blessed? God said to Yoshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards the eye, for I give it into your hand. Yeshua raised the spear that was in his hand towards the town. In an act reminiscent of Moses, raising his staff over the waters of the sea. God commands Joshua to raise the spear. Parenthetically, we should note that the staff of the lawgiver shepherd has been placed in the scene by the spear of the inspired general, highlighting the changed circumstances of Joshua's leadership. That we mentioned, Mate versus Kidom. But here's the clear point, the, the important point. While it is clearly Joshua and the people of Israel who make the necessary preparations, fight the battle, and achieve victory, their success in the end is due to God's covert intervention. Inspired at precisely the right moment, Joshua raises a spear and the rest of the plan unfolds with perfection. The military historian who hypothetically observes the battle from the outside sees only Joshua's stroke of brilliant timing and the people of Israel's determined attack. But the more perceptive onlooker, who possesses deeper insight into the true nature of the miraculous, are able to discern the hand of God. There is a hand of God here in terms of the intuition of humankind. Okay, the Ramban speaks about this in Parshat Bo. Parak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Tetzain, the Ramban talks about, he gives this whole theory of miracles. It's a whole essay in his commentary to the Torah, where he says that there are overt miracles, what are called Nisim Gluyim, and Nisim Nistarim, hidden miracles. Now, for anyone who questioned whether God cares about the world and intervenes and controls the world, Hashem created certain Nisim Gluyim, overt miracles, at the time of Yitzhak trying the plagues, Yamsuf, Har Sinai, in order to let the world know, listen, I'm, I'm here. Don't doubt that for a second. But over time, over time, the Ramban argues, the Nisim Gluyim recede from the, uh, the scene. And in its place, we come to understand that there are Nisim Nistarim, that everything in this world is a miracle. Every breath you take is a miracle. The intuition of Yahushua, knowing when to put up the Spirit, that's a miracle. These are hidden miracles concealed into the genetic makeup of the world, what we might call nature, but it's not nature. It's God sustaining the system of the universe. And these are Nisim Nistarim. Ramban goes even further and says, anyone who doesn't believe in this, Ein lo chelek b'tarat Moshe, you know, Torah Israel. Okay? They're like outside of the bounds of, of the true faith. Okay, so this is an example of Nes Nistar. Okay, I spoke about the notion of An Chanukah, the Nes of the, of the Maccabim being able to fight. <coughs> Who gave them that courage? It's also, it's, it's divine inspiration. 
Okay, it's that the miracle is not uh, you know God sent down a hailstorm of rocks which crushed the enemy. No, it's not that. It's not them being swallowed up by some pit. No, it's human beings doing something, but with divine inspiration. And God is intervening, just not in the same direct way He may have beforehand, but He's certainly in uh, involved. The um, but this enables by God taking a little bit of a step back, enables human beings us to step in and to take responsibility and to lead the way. And so there's this shift. It's just like a parent. You know, at a certain point, you know, you make your kids lunch and you do their laundry and you put them into bed and you do all these things. Over time, they learn to become independent. Right? Over time, they become independent and the parent has to step back a little bit and make space for the children to grow. So, tough. We'll stop here, Shkoch, everybody. Uh, we'll finish up Parakhat next week. Bez, right there, Shkoch. Yeah.